I mean, we got to do a, an episode about UFOs now. That's like the new hotness. Dude, <laughs> that's going to fit perfectly with the deep state. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I, got into, I got into a big work discussion about it, about, uh, I know, like, there are people who like want to believe and I'm like, I want to, I want to believe there's something out there too, man. But like, I guarantee all this stuff has explanations, whether we know what it is or not right now or not. Like, yeah, that just the general, like, I think of it in the macro of there's no way that like aliens are going to come all the way here and not be detected by anything. And then as soon as they come down to earth, they're not careful anymore and they can just be <laughs> spotted by like, the amount of energy it would take to get to our solar system, like they can hide all that, but like their little scout craft <laughs> yeah. isn't stealthy. Like that's the exact opposite of like, what would we do if we were going to scout a new country? Like we wouldn't, you know, yeah. We, have we, our we scouts have the we most show up and start like flashbanging and be like, Oh crap, they caught us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like our scout team wouldn't have like flashlights or like giant strobe lights on them. Like that's not how you do it. You scout stealthily. Like, I don't know that stuff, but like people were like real, real into it. Like, yeah, wow. no, I'm with you. I conclude, it, like, it, went, it moved, it moved so fast, so quick. That's, it can't never be explained. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sure it can be explained. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I don't know. The curious part is again, like, I, I think it can be explained, but the fact that we can't has to concern somebody. Cause like, okay, so is it, is it friendly or a foe? Is it? I mean, right. Right. From the military perspective, do. from the military perspective, it's definitely an issue. Because apparently a ton uh, of them over military, like military installations too. Um, right. Like not even like, you know, like in the ocean, but like legit yeah, military yeah. bases. Like, yeah, we should probably figure that out pretty quick. But. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, again, we could, I could talk about this forever. Cause I think it's, I think it's, uh, the problem is, is I don't think you're a much of a believer of that. So it would be very interesting. I think we'd both be, just be shitting on, <laughs> on the possibility of, of it being actually aliens. Uh, yeah, it'd be fun conversation. But again, I, 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 that's that's a that's a that's just a philosophical. We could I I mean I would definitely talk about aliens for an hour, like just the, the <laughs> what it would mean and if if they actually exist. What you know? What does that what does that mean for us? Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely of the opinion that even if. I bet you I'm almost certain alien life exists on other planets, but there's no way we're ever going to find them or contact them. Like it, the difference between life and intelligent life is already huge. Mm -hmm. And if there were intelligent life, the, the ability to contact that intelligent life, given how big our universe is, is like infinitesimally small. So like there's, that's basically my reasoning of not of whatever UFO stuff there is not being aliens is just because I, I know what the, the, the math looks like and it's not in our, it's not in the favor of aliens being on earth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I treat it mostly like how I treat conspiracy theories. Like I'm fascinated by the conversation. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I'm very, very. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, now that we got all the aliens talk out of the way, let's welcome everyone to episode two of the OVO Deep State Podcast. I'm Jake Lane. My co-host is Thomas Black. You can find us on Twitter at The Rake, but the A is a four, and Thomas Black underscore 86. If you don't know who we are yet, I encourage you to check out episode one for our introductions. But we're going to get into today's show, which is about universal basic income and how it might be inevitable, even if it's not something conservatives prefer. But first things first... 
Thomas, is this a problem Congress can solve before it's too late? Some of the problem, in my opinion, is nobody actually wants to solve the problem. They want to just uh, gear towards impassioned debate, uh, debate, you know, and they don't want to actually discuss finer details and nuance and like, okay, I see your point. What if we try this? Which in more reference to tonight, but like that's what I really respected about Andrew Yang. Like he was not inflammatory. He was not given to hyperbole. Um, he legit seemed like he will sit down with anybody and have reasoned discussion and have data and, and concede points. And like, so most like when I talk about like like specific policy details, almost all of it's going to come from from his campaign because when I was researching the UBI stuff, most of it was more like theoretical and like, oh, we could try this, we could try this. But Yang actually had here's exactly how we would introduce it. Here's how we could do it and how he thinks it could work. And I you know, disagree with the conclusion, but he. He's, he's fun to listen to. He's fun to read. Um, yeah, he 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 came on my radar because he was on the Joe Rogan podcast when he was like a fringe presidential candidate, like right in the beginning of the race in 2015, 16. No, it was this last one. Right? No, this was last time. Yeah, it had been, been like uh, eight, 2018. Yeah, t- probably 2018. Uh and that's why he came on my radar. I'd never heard of him. I thought he was just some kind of like, not like whack job, but like literally a fringe candidate who had no hope, who was, wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And he he made, I think, exactly what you said about him as, as being like well thought out and thoughtful and like not being a traditional politician and, you know, trying, yeah. to, trying to score political points. Yeah. Uh, when I listened to him, I was like, oh, this guy makes a ton of sense. I was like, that, like I was definitely yanging after that. After that, Joe, that first, the very first Jorgen interview, and then like I kind of followed him, and he obviously he didn't he didn't do anything, but he made he made a big enough name like his he should he should have been like um who was that one crazy Marianne Williamson or whatever who was talking about she's talking about some wild stuff during the debates uh I don't know if you remember but she was talking about like spirit spirituality and stuff as as like you know, policy. Uh, on the, on the oh, democratic side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a democratic candidate. I'll have to send you some, I'll have to find some clips and send them to you because she was saying some weird stuff, but I thought it was going to be more like her. Like just not, not like crazy like that, but like, just like a fringe candidate where you never yeah. hear from again, whatever. But like, he's, he, I think a credit to him being genuine and being well yeah. thought out and thoughtful is that like, he's in, in the thick of it for being mayor of New York now. Yeah, and I hope he wins. I really hope 2019, again, I, I disagree with him the way I like disagree with Tulsi Gabbard, where it's like, I, I disagree, but I think you're super well thought out, and, and you're, you're someone of honorable character, and I think you could actually look to try to solve problems and not just fan the flames and, and be rhetorical and all this stuff. But, uh, no, I remember the first time I, I uh, listened to him, um, he did a Ben Shapiro's uh, like yeah, Sunday was- special. I listened to him on Ben Shapiro. That was yeah. after, that was after the Rogan thing, and I listened to him. I did the exact same. I was I was in the, like as soon as I heard the Rogan thing, I wanted to hear all all of his interviews. And I was like, oh, Ben Shapiro's not going to take it easy on him. Let's let's hear that. And I thought he was did just as well on that. Yeah, he did. No, he he did well. That that was a good conversation. Then uh, I don't know if you listened to him and he uh, he debated um, a, a Harvard uh, economist uh, who's a libertarian. Um, and again, that was that was just fun hearing them kind of go back and forth and. He's super, like, again, just super transparent because he, when he talked about UBI, when they, you know, he called it the Freedom Initiative and they're like, oh, why do you do that? And he's like, 
polling said it tested better or it did better when you call it freedom initiative instead of ubi yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like Nobody else would be that honest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I think he said that on the on Joe Rogan, or maybe it was a different interview I heard it on. But he was like, "Yeah, we call it the Freedom Dividend. Everybody's fine with that." Yeah, because nobody nobody likes UBI. You're fine. But, but but Freedom Dividend, everybody's everybody's in for. And it's just like it's 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 honestly one of what was one of Trump's biggest strengths is he was he was able to like rebrand stuff on the fly or like quickly, and it stuck. Yeah. And it, it's it's really smart, and it's not like that's the problem with these career politicians, right? Is like, they don't, even if they come from like owning a small business or whatever, like it's not the same as like being really good at branding and marketing and like set, like having real it's skills. One, yeah. It, it's one thing to have a good idea. Right. But you have to sell that idea. Like yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of politicians, especially like Bernie, right? Like I might, people might agree with Bernie in, in like, if you like stripped it of, being a Bernie policy or yeah. uh, initiative or whatever, if you stripped all that away and distilled it down, like most people would agree with what he's saying, <laughs> but because it's Bernie saying it, like that puts a, a, a tinge on it. Yeah. But, like if he, if he was able to market himself like Yang, I think he would have done much better. Yeah. Like well, rebrand a lot of it, like understand how to, how to talk about uh, your policies without, somebody like Trump think, calling you like crazy Bernie or whatever. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. Cause, cause I mean, when he was talking about UBI, um, the best argument he made to really make me like strongly consider it was he said like, listen, I just think you should be trusted with your money more than the government should be trusted with it. And that's the exact same argument Republicans make the tax cuts. So right. I'm just like, I mean, I agree with the principle. Like, so, so how are you going to do this? How are you thinking about it? And, and also, I mean, you know, again, don't necessarily agree with the conclusions he has, but I think he was the only main candidate saying, is anybody going to talk about AIML? Because that's going to be a huge disruptor. And we should try to think proactively about that. You know, otherwise when we caught the pants down, I'm like Senator Ben Sass is another one um, from Nebraska who, who tries to like bring this up and like these things need to be debated in Congress now because in 10 years, we're, we're so far behind on tech, man. Like, I mean like Congress yeah, is, like our laws are not ready for any of this innovation. No. And like, it's such a, it's such a, it's such an easy wall to see coming at the end of the train track. Like we're, we're, we were seeing it head on and like, we just can, where we can do nothing about it. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, that, that's that to me, that's where like so much of what Congress debates is, is just dumb. Like we shouldn't debate meaningless. On, like, yeah. tobacco. like when we have an AIML, like, not problem, but just reality. Like this is happening. Right. And that's, and like, I could type up a bunch of notes about well, my pros for universal basic income, but literally you the only main point, the only point I think is universal and should, I don't not win the day, but like AI is coming. Automation is coming. It's going to put millions of Americans out of work. Like what, how are they going to make money? There's no, yeah. Well, there's no, me. there's no future in, there's no future in, you know, fast food. There's no future in, uh, uh, what else is like, truck driving? Basically, well, any, yeah, I mean, yeah, truck, truck, truck drivers are for sure gone. They're already working on self driving. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Well, and then to me, that's like you know, as we as we frame the frame the debate, um, we we have to have the debate saying, okay, let's assume that. 40, 50, 60% of jobs haven't been taken 
by by automation, and, and especially if it's indiscriminate, because it's not just truck drivers, but it's, hey, these machines can find and diagnose cancer faster and more accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, you're going to have machines that can do surgery better. So if you just have a huge swath of the population that instantly has no job, and in for doctors, you spend a decade and hundreds of thousands of dollars going in debt, and now there's nothing to show for it. Um, yeah, I think that's, to me, that's like, okay, I can't even, there's so many things you'd have to debate there, but if there's literally not a job people can do better than, than computers, then we have, we have to do something. Yeah, I, I think it's like, okay, UBI is the only viable solution maybe at that point. But yeah, if we had to talk about it, let's say where like an Andrew Yang says, Hey, I want to do this now. Then let's talk like the, to me, the debate has to be framed on modern day um, working conditions and status. Because otherwise, it's like complete agreement. Like, yes, if the computers take all the jobs and the only one making any money out of this is the people who own the computers. Yeah, that's and that's fair to frame it as what the current situation is. But you you can't ignore the future and what's one th- like it's it's definitely coming. And we were talking about this the other day at work was kind of about this. They're teaching AI to machine learn how to program themselves, like program. Yeah. Right. So like. Once they can do that, like that's we have infinite possibilities about, you know, software developers are out of jobs. Anybody like you don't need the human to maintain the computer, the code anymore, the code bases. You don't need like mm-hmm. because that, that, that's that been like the big initiative for the last 20 years. Right. It's like teach these coal miners how to code. And it's like, well, what are we going to teach the coders when the machines take over? Like where we go, where do we go from there? Are we going back to coal mining? Like what what's the plan? And I think that, uh, I think to your point of like doctors and stuff, that's definitely going to happen, right? But I think that there'll be a long enough transition for the higher skilled jobs that people are still going to want. There's going to be a huge portion of the population that's not going to want a robot to to operate on them, no matter how what the statistics say. Same thing with like self driving cars, right? Like we know that they're safer than actually driving them ourselves, but on the individual basis, on the individual case, it's not intuitive to us. It's like, no, I want control over the vehicle. And like, I think that tradition transition to self-driving cars is going to take a while as the same as like, I don't think, you know, I don't think a lot of these, uh, MAGA Trumper type characters are going to let a robot operate on them anytime soon. Right. Uh, so I think that transition for those jobs, but I think the overnight jobs that we lose are definitely the lower skilled, truck driving, fast food, uh, you know, street sweeping, like janitorial work, any, any of that stuff could be gone overnight. And then we just have a huge swath of the population who is already struggling to survive with those jobs. You know, now they have no jobs and it's like, okay, well, if we teach them, let's teach them, you know, higher level skills. There's only so many higher level jobs available. Like even, like, even if you fill those jobs with people, there's not enough of those jobs to employ everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with discussing the pros and cons of, you know, universal basic income today, but it's really hard for me to ignore where, where we're heading. Yeah. And I'm not saying ignore, I'm saying, I think there's more agreement. Uh, well, I think, so I think there's both mystery and like, what exactly is that future going to look like? Uh, to some degree, I think every time there's been huge technical innovation, 
there's been more doomsday prophecy than actually came true, right? Like, you know, when cars came out, when aircraft came out, when computers came out, when the internet came out, they're like, oh, these things are going to completely destroy our way of life. And yeah, there, there, there is a good bit of disruption that we've seen since the Industrial Revolution, right? But not necessarily always as much as what's predicted and, and uh, thought to be the case. Um, but, I mean, yeah, obviously, if, if we're living in a world where computers can do everything better, and there's no jobs to fill. Because um, I forget, oh, what's the guy's name? Um, you know him. Uh, he, he talks a lot about how there's really no free will. Um, he talks a lot. Sam Harris? Yeah, um, Sam Harris. Yeah, yeah I like He, he a speaks a lot, uh, just a ton about, you know, to your point, these, these computers are teaching themselves. And I think the stat, he says, like, you know, they can download, like, like 100 or 1,000 years of information in a day or in a week or whatever. So if you're able to learn that quickly... I mean, pretty much overnight, you're like society's. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's we're getting to the point where like that scene in the Matrix where he's like, "Hey, upload me how to fly a helicopter," and then it's like seconds later, he's like, "Oh, I can fly a helicopter." Like that's absolutely coming with machines. Like they will absolutely be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I I think there's so much mystery and okay, what does that mean? Because if they can farm better than all of us, and we can have more food, and we can have whatever house and we don't have to pay anybody for it because all robots doing it. I mean, do we even have a need for money? Because if I can have any object I want, any food I want. Right. I- so that, that, that would be my, <laughs> like there's no point in you buying it. I don't need to buy anything. Cause <laughs> I mean, I think there's to provide it. Still, yeah. There's still luxuries and stuff. Right. So I think money will still, but I understand your point. I think, but I think what my, I was going to say is like, do you think it's more palatable <laughs> 50 years from now with when the machines take over and we're their slaves, basically. <laughs> uh, do you think it's more palatable for the more conservative folks instead of it being the UBI where you get, you know, a thousand dollars a month or whatever, whatever the m- amount doesn't matter, but whatever amount a month, is it more palatable for them instead of a thousand dollars a month? It's like, okay, here's your groceries for the month. Here's your, what, like you actually get tangible goods that the, the machines farmed and the machines, you know, prepared your ground beef for you and all that like is it is that more is that less of a, a quote-unquote handout since it's not actual money uh for people not working or do you think that it's still a problem because you know it's more it'd be more akin to like food stamps right like you get you get this to you get this you get all this food and so you don't have to worry about any like beating your basic needs right like everybody has a place to live everybody gets their food but it's you're not actually getting any cash yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I guess in a situation where, I mean, again, we're kind of talking in a world where basically humans are not as good at anything. Um, I mean, because the whole idea of economics is I'm paying you or, or trading, you know, if you even go back farther, it's I'm trading you this so I can get in exchange something else. Right. Um, but if, if the person or if the entity no longer providing the service has a need or about that. money yeah, yeah. or food or whatever or rest or anything, uh, again, that's such, that's such a foreign world to where we are now in so many ways. But I, I, I can't speak for everybody. I'd say for myself, like, what does that world look like? Because in my mind, the end of this would be nobody has a job because nobody can do anything better. But at the same time, everybody works so they can either buy stuff or survive. And if computers and robots can do all this stuff better than us anyway, then we're all going to have food delivered to us by the robots that are grown by the robots. And my house is going to be built by the robots. And lumber is falling like so i would i would say that that i mean it's not even a matter of, of 
palpable or not. It's just this, that would be the reality, and that would be there'd be no other option um, other than doing things for your own enjoyment. Like if you enjoy cutting firewood, sure you can do it, but <laughs> you know I've got robots, yeah, I think, robots, and if I want one, they can just program it to come to me. Yeah, I think that's the the point of freeing up people from. I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word, and I'm using quotes, even though if you're listening, you can't see it. Forced labor, like a lot of people work to survive or work to live. They don't live to you know they don't live to work. They're not that that quote of uh, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. I, mm-hmm. You know, there's that that's one percent of the population. I think the vast majority uh, are doing it to survive and not necessarily doing something they love to do. Uh, it's mostly just tolerable, but I think in a world where you don't have to do that anymore, I think we're going to see a lot more. I think, you know, there are people who like, like building things with like woodworking Mm -hmm. people like doing that. That's what they enjoy. And they do it as a hobby outside of their normal job. I think we'd see a lot more of that, but again, like it's, that's going to be just for them. Like they're, you're not really trying to, you're not going to sell that because there's, there's no, I can I can have a robot do the same thing or whatever you know you know what I'm saying like it's it yeah would be it, more it, like- it would be at that point like again something we haven't seen in all of history but it'd be bartering for the stake of nostalgia like if I just <laughs> yeah. or knowing that this thing was painted by you know Jake right. and not Jake's robot and you decide I'm like hey I'll draw you this picture because you personally prefer my drawing. Because you missed the days when humans mattered. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, again, but at that point, like, never has this bartering system in any economic framework been for for, uh, amusement. For fun, yeah. Like, hey, I need to give you this because I need what you have in exchange. And Yeah, it's interesting to think about. And I I enjoy thinking about it, like, outside of the UBI context, uh, about what the future is going to be like when uh, the machines take over. I don't, I'm not, so like Elon, Elon Musk and uh, Sam Harris, who you mentioned, they're pretty anti-AI. They, they see it as, uh, and it'll, it'll, it, it'll inevitably be a bad thing and it'll inevitably lead to the singularity of the machine. It's the classic sci-fi thing of like, when you teach a machine everything about humans, it's like, well, the best way to save humans is to eliminate them. <laughs> Uh, and that's basically their viewpoint. That's basically their viewpoint of, of AI is like, it's uncontrolled. It's ultimately uncontrollable. And no matter what benefit we get from it, they're going to take over and render us not, not just like render us useless and work, like completely replace us in every sense of the word. So I don't know if I'm that. like, they'll eliminate us, but he's like, think about when we want to build, you know, a data farm. Do we concern ourselves if there's an anthill there or not? No. Yeah. So it, it, it won't be like we'll be hunted. Like in the. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, that, yeah, I, I agree. That's, what, that's, that, that's, yeah, that, I mean, that's basically the point I wanted to make, but you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's one of two things. It's the Terminator route where they like are hunting us to kill us. Uh, bec- again, because like that's, that's the best way to save humanity is to extinguish it. <laughs> Uh, or yeah, they just like literally render us useless and don't give a thought to us, and it causes our extinction. Uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily on that side, and that'd be an interesting conversation for another day. Uh, our UBI discussion has kind of gone into an AI discussion, and I'm totally fine with it. 
Uh, <laughs> well, it's relevant, right? But 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 I, I just I guess my point was I think we're in agreement if essentially work is non-existent and it's indiscriminate. Like it's right. the, the white collar jobs, it's hitting finance and medicine and carpentry and you know truck driving and, and farming. Like if it just indiscriminately takes out basically every job. Um, I mean, the whole, I mean, again, there's no way you can disagree with it when nobody has had job. Right? And that's, and that's kind of my, that's where I would bring it back to the modern day is if we can see this coming, whether it's going to be as bad as our worst fears or not, we should be prepared. We should be preparing for life after work. And I don't think that doing whatever, $300 a month or $600 a month, whatever, whatever uh, the the final total is decided upon is really that big of a deal. Now, if, if we get like, let's say we gave everybody $1,200 a month and it turned out like, okay, that's inflation is running rampant, blah, blah, blah. We Jimmy Carter and say, okay, that was, that, that was too much. Like it needs to be pegged to a certain whatever. It can't go above that. Like we need to start figuring it out now and then get it fine tuned and nailed down. So when the future does come where everybody, most people need it, it's there in place. We're not, we're not figuring this out when, while our jobs are being taken. Yeah. And, and that's a fair argument. Um, I think a couple of things, I think we'd have to say, what is, what's the overall, like today, if, if we were going to implement UBI today, what would be the overall goal? Because I think the overall goals that, that many um, academics or in some degree, even like an Andrew Yang, would uh, would reference the goal? I don't think it accomplishes that. I think it exacerbates problems that you're trying to solve, um, such as purchase power parity, such as the wealth gap, things of that nature. It doesn't do it. I think it is more likely. I'm going to throw out that I get the correlation doesn't equal causation, but there, there's been a pretty significant correlation between um, the choices that one makes that that statistically lead to poverty and the amount of money that that is given to them by, by state or federal governments. So I think if you look at UBI in the context of today, in my opinion, for a number of reasons, which we'll get into, it's likely to make the problem worse. Worse. So you'd have to kind of parse out what's the goal and and how does this solve it? Um, so, so, so uh, again, I guess that's to me where, where we start the conversation is, what are we hoping happens here? I think we're hoping multiple things, right? You're trying to... Uh help people at or below the poverty line. You're going to try to help people in the middle class. And since people generally at the middle class and below don't save money typically, well, you're going to stimulate the economy that way and ultimately end up helping. I, I think the wealth gap is, is an interesting concern. I think you're definitely going to help the upper class when all these people have more money to spend. Um, you're going to, you're, you know, the landlords and the, the, you know, whatever, like the apples, everybody. And the, whatever, everybody. Uh, I, I agree. I, I'm not super certain that like pri the inflation would be unmanageable. I think that, I think that there's definitely a point where it becomes unmanageable, but I don't necessarily believe just, in general, if you give people their, if you give people money, that the inflation is going to be unmanageable. Yeah, and then again, this is where um, 
since neither one of us speak for anybody but you and you and myself. Like, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. I, I say I, th- I think this is where we'll, it, add that, we'll add that disclaimer to the top of the show. <laughs> yeah, but but it's interesting because like you, you look at people such as um, like again Andrew Yang. His whole thing is you one you have to directly tie um, UBI to consumer price index, and it needs to be just below the poverty line. Um, cause he, he admits like, okay, you can't take away people's incentive to work. And if it's below the poverty line, then it, it actually is a boost and it doesn't take away their incentive to work. But he would also say that this is an, an, an exchange. Basically you forfeit all of the benefits you get now from the welfare system. And he's including insurance in that he's including, um, snap in that and Tanif in that, like all these things. And you get a thousand bucks a month. Well, based off, you know, CBO, um, and, uh, um, the last Census Bureau, we're spending almost $24,000 for everybody in, in poverty. And there's like 34 million people that, that um, the government says is in poverty. Right. So if you're really going to, which I don't think, practically, I don't think they would because I don't think that policy ever passes. But economically, yeah, that's a better model because you're, you're but, but again, at the same time, what are you trying to accomplish? Because if you give somebody $12,000 a year and then have them pay insurance, you didn't actually increase their ability to purchase products because you're, again, you're taking away a lot of the government benefits that they're currently getting. Right. So I, 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 I'm like, I, yeah. Right. I understand. I, I definitely understand that. However, I think that again, to his point, the individual knows how to use that money better than the government. We spend 24,000 right now on each person in poverty because of all the bureaucracy and, everything we have to pay people to monitor these programs and make sure that you know the right people are getting it and they work and we need metrics and blah 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 so when you're not paying all those people to monitor these programs you can give more to the individual and they can do it right but i agree with you that that's going to go right into healthcare for the most part anyway that's why we need some kind of basic level of healthcare to go along with UBI that everybody can get. So it's not just going back into healthcare, right? So like, I don't think UBI is a cure all by any means. I think it's a, it's a, it's part of a, a whole package, uh, to give everybody, every citizen, a, a basic, a baseline of, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let you, you know, flounder. You're going to have this, this, "Quote unquote safety net," even though I hate that term. Uh, that, that 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 that's the bottom. We're not going to let you get to the the rock bottom. Mm-hmm. There'll be a soft bottom, and then you can work your way up from there. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, as much as paying for insurance and paying for whatever sucks, like if you had a, a thousand extra dollars a month, twelve, like if you're making twenty four thousand dollars a year, now you're making. 50% more, right? And it's going to you you would hope people would put use that money wisely, right? Like the fear or the criticism is like, oh, there people are just going to buy more drugs, buy more alcohol, buy more iPhones, buy more whatever. Uh but you have to assume that the majority are not like i don't think the majority of people on welfare right now are drug addicts they're just hard work for the most part hardworking, underprivileged people just that's period mm-hmm. so yeah so, so one i really hate the argument um that assumes poverty equals 
uh, drug addiction or alcohol addiction or, or being uh, lazy laziness. Yeah. So I, I don't agree with that. What, what, what I would say, and again, I, I don't want to uh, make this the premise of the argument, but th- there is a reality to um, poverty being linked to choices in many cases, right? So, for instance, you can almost guarantee somebody doesn't doesn't experience poverty or escapes poverty if you finish high school, don't have a child outside of marriage, and don't go to prison, right? Now, the reason that's important to some degree in this debate is because like the, before the war on poverty started, I think we had like a 6% um, uh, single parenthood in the United States. And now it's somewhere around like 30, 30 something percent um, or whatnot. And again, that's the majority of, according to the uh, CBO um, and Census Bureau data, that's the majority of the impoverished population. Um, they, they, one of those three things has happened. They didn't finish high school. They had a child outside of wedlock um, or, uh, they have a, a, a prison background. Um, right, right. Now you can kind of get into this. Oh, you need prison form. But my yeah, point yeah, is. It's a can of worms. It's a can of worms. It's a, it's a Pandora's box. Yeah, no, no, no. It is. But I guess my point is we have to look at the reality of have, have well-intentioned po- policies by the government led to an increase in behaviors that are correlated to poverty. And that at least has to be a factor, right? Because it's, okay, if the more we give might make someone care more careless or maybe less less careful would probably a better way of saying kind of the same thing but less careful and then that's a that is a problem because then it's it's not i don't work hard it's you work exceptionally hard but the current status of your life does not allow you to 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 make progress um that's proportionate to the amount of work you put in um and it's probably a little premature but like to me this is where a better answer than UBI um, would take the form of a couple of things. Um, one, it would be it would, would be uh, taxing across the board businesses less, large and small, because you have more money to expand and grow. But I think you also they have to have um, education reform on this because education is going to be the greatest equalizer in all of it. And I think school choice plays a part in this. And I think these are all better options than. UBI, which again just might lead historically has led um, to to exacerbate the problems of the, the the correlations of choices to poverty. But if you had school choice, and if you had, in my opinion, where local industry had a place in the curriculum of school uh, of, of school choice, then you've got electricians, you've got plumbers, you've got um, all kinds of trades you can learn and at 18 years old have a self-sustaining job that doesn't give you a low ceiling based off of, of especially based off of like your ability to get degrees online now. Lock, yeah, I think sorry, I rambled. No, 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 it's fine. I think, I think a lot of those are absolutely fine ideas. I think that I don't think there's any one cure all for poverty. First of all, uh, it's not, a, it wouldn't be any of those things or UBI. It'd be a combination of everything. Right. I, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of education. I'm fine with whatever we throw at education and how trying different approaches or whatever. I'm that's absolutely my number one idea or, or like my biggest, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the, 
but I would champion. Agree that that's the foundation for curing poverty. I think. Yes. Right. Like if you bring the average average education level up, that's only going to be good for our poverty levels. Like I don't think that's very uh, controversial, right? But like to go back, kind of to like single parents and everything like the problem is right is like the child doesn't make that decision the child doesn't make the decision to live in a poor area with a single parent and Mm -hmm. that parent may or may not be on drugs or drink alcohol or just a lousy parent like that the and it's really hard for Republican man like (laughs) the child grows no right 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 but I'm saying is like is like they you you can't legislate good parenting like there obviously are good parents who are impoverished Mm -hmm. who made bad life choices themselves but are still good parents right uh and we see the kids of those good parents generally make it out make a you know they're focused on education they stay out of trouble they don't go to jail Mm -hmm. they you know they make it out right and it's Mm -hmm. good parenting it's not necessarily that they had a single parent i think being a single parent obviously makes it harder to be a good parent but it's not impossible I think that we can't punish people for not just the kids of these parents, but like the parents themselves, like people are dumb. Things, things happen when you're a teenager or early to like, I don't, I don't even necessarily think, I mean, I'm sure the single parenting data is is correct. I'll give you the benefit of that on that, but it's mostly being a young parent, right? Like I see people who got pregnant in high school or got pregnant 18, 19, you know, three kids by the time they're 22 and it doesn't matter if they're with the same, with the same, within the same couple or not, whether they're married or not, like having kids that young, it's really hard to, to raise them. Right. Because you're not, you're not fully grown. You don't know anything either. Right. Like Mm -hmm. how can you be, how can you be a good parent to three kids at like 24 when you haven't had any life experience? Like all you've done is give birth and worked minimum wage jobs basically. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that like we you can't you can't punish all bad decisions equally, in my opinion. And I don't think that like I, I think I don't know. I think it's a really complex topic, obviously. I don't think it's necessarily a good one against UBI, but I, I definitely understand where you're coming from and that UBI isn't the cure all for poverty. But I think that it I think that helps it helps raise it enough that it's an acceptable plan now on top of being the future. Like I'm way more forward looking than, than I am right now, but I like, I will 100% concede all the points you made about the current modern day landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, and that's what like, you know, again, Andrew Yang's plan was, you know, part of this will be, you know, funded um, by value added tax on technology, because that's going to be the big disruptor that displaces workers. Um, and I think one thing everybody has to recognize is it uh, doesn't matter what form of government you have or where you are, what economic policies you have. If you immediately have, let's say, 30 million people out of work, that always leads to only one thing. And, yeah. and that, you know, that's violence in the streets. That's revolution against government authorities. And that's a, lot the, of, a, lot of, a lot of cake being eaten. Do what? I said a lot of cake being eaten. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let them eat cake, right? Um but, but, you know, so, so again, like, like I would concede to, hey, this is happening in the future. And, and I get the argument where let's kind of get some kind of model or policy in place. Um, again, I think that would be writing in stone something that we 
not just America, but I, I mean, as the entire world, have no idea what's going to happen, right? Because um, yeah, I think the big issue is like as we were talking at the beginning of like when you implement a policy and it doesn't work out as you want and like repealing that policy. The problem is if you give everybody a thousand dollars a month, no politician is going to survive on. Oh, we're going to take that money away from you now. Like no. there's, it's it'd be really hard to pull it back, right? And that's why yeah. I think it'd be way way more prudent to start small. And then if it doesn't work, that's a much easier bandaid to rip off than it is, you know, if you gave everybody $300 a month or two, whatever, whatever we decide. Like I know Yang has it paying pegged to the, um, value added consumer price, consumer price index and all that, the poverty line, whatever, whatever, whatever. I I mean, I think in theory that works and that in theory, that's good for the future, but I don't think you, I don't think you can start at that. I think that's a huge mistake because we just, again, like you said, we don't really know the repercussions and what will happen. And maybe, maybe we got it wrong and inflation does skyrocket. And then what then? Like nobody, nobody who's relying on that money is going to vote for somebody who's going to repeal that money. And it's, it's, it's not, it, it, it it's not the right way to, again, you got to start low and work your way up. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I guess to me that, that would be like, Everything you said, as far as, you know, whatever you give, let's just be honest. Um, our history, and at least in the United States, would suggest it's there forever. Like, there's not been a government program that's, like, being created. But, like, hey, it didn't work out. We're shutting it down. And, again, right. to my knowledge, I think Jimmy, President Jimmy Carter is the only one that, that you know, tried to regulate the gas industry with, with uh, OPEC, said they weren't going to um, sell at the current prices, if I remember the general history of that correctly. And he realizes, wait, we have a shortage. This isn't good. I'm going to get rid of it. Whereas I believe Germany said, we're just going to let the market play out. And they paid a lot of money for gas, but they had gas to pay for it, which right, right. is better. So was, I guess my, my, a couple of, you know, I think inflation would, would definitely go up because, you know, when you look at corporate accounting, one of the things they run through is like the what if analysis. And they've run through what if our, our competitors put this much in advertising um, for us, you know, for the products we're, we're kind of selling and competing against. What if we charge this? What if we change our structure? But one of those aspects of what if analysis is what does the customer have to pay for this? So the more money that they have, prices are inevitably, I mean, they're going to go up. Why? Because they know they can get, the, they know they can get paid for it. You know, they, they know that the market uh, allows. For yeah. That. So that's yeah, what yeah, my I thing think is. It's just it's not going to affect the wealth gap and it's not going to actually increase purchasing power parity um, for the people that you're trying to help because everything's going to rise there and you're going to have more wealth concentrated at the top. Still. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's no way in our current system that we're going to close the wealth gap unless we heavily, heavily tax multimillionaires i don't think that's ever gonna happen or we regulate like the ceo thing where like ceos can only make you know 100 times more than their lowest paid employee or whatever like we're never going to close that wealth gap we're just we're never going to do it that's not how our system is designed it's not what the the philosophies the 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 democrats are a centrist party like as much as they want to be painted as wild left-wing you know wild progressives like joe biden is a corporate democrat he's a centrist democrat he's he's not a boat shaker uh bernie aoc those kinds sure but they're few and far between and not the the majority of the party by any means so and same on the 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 right the the conservatives the gop Mm -hmm. 
for the for the most part. Um, that's why, that's, I mean, like I say, not not to get off on a tangent, but that's why no Congress and no president ever did anything to reform, let's say, or, or consider reform on um, uh, like the finance industry after two thousand eight, right? And right. I think yeah, they yeah, basically I think, got. In my opinion, there are libertarian principles that that you can apply that don't require. Hey, like, like Sarbanes-Oxley, for instance, was one of the things that kind of came out of that. But I think it's not necessarily effective and not necessarily going to change anything. But like nothing drastic happened because, in my opinion, um, there's not really an incentive for either party to, to do anything about it, and, and they have yeah. too much to lose personally. There's what. Yeah, there's way too much corporate money in politics. Like they're never gonna, the AOCs and the Bernies of the world are never going to be the majority when the corporates corporate money can fund corporate Democrats and corporate Republicans. Like it's just not gonna, it's not gonna change. Uh, so again, I don't think we're gonna ever close that wealth gap. Like neither party is really making it a priority, regardless of the the fringes squawking about it. Uh, but do you think it would increase purchasing power parity? Because to me, that would be one of the ultimate goals. Is well, we're already we're already the, we're printing money by the millions and devaluing the dollar anyway, right? So you you can't do UBI and that. You would have to stop the infinite Federal Reserve money printer uh, as part of it. I I this is the same argument with raising the minimum wage, right? Like. Every time somebody says we're going to raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, they're like, "Oh, everything's all the price of everything's going to go way up." But places like Australia have a high minimum wage, and yes, prices went up, but it didn't. It didn't go up. It actually kept prices went up, but the, the wages went up even more than that, and it never met or went above. Right, so like there is a case to be made that like it wouldn't. It would affect prices, but but getting that extra money is way more of a boon than the prices would account for anyway. Uh, because I agree with you that like companies are going to say, well, we can charge this because all these people have more money. But the wonderful thing about capitalism and competition is, well, another company can come in and say, well, we can either make this much more profit or we can sell this much more inventory by undercutting our competition. Like there's always going to be that price competition, which I think is, is what will level the field of the, the raising of prices. Uh, there are things that like the inelastic, inelastic products, right? Like economics, one one things that people have to buy no matter what. I think that's, there's an argument to be made there that uh, those prices would get inflated maybe too high. But I think the majority the the average stuff people buy every day, like we're not going to see the price shock much at all yeah so well, yeah so to kind of your point about you know uh you know bread eggs milk kind of those standard things i mean that two articles last month came out um that because the economy was getting you know, growing back to normal back to, back to pre-pandemic days um and because of some of the um some of the uh pandemic relief that congress passed like as that money starts to flow back into people's pockets prices start to go back up right Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I do, and, but again, if we're talking about trying to, the, the main focus is trying to help the impoverished. You have to realize that's the where most of their money is going to go anyway. So, right, that that, that is a, a certainly a relevant factor. Um, kind of as you brought in, I mean, I think the minimum wage argument is is in a lot of ways drastically different um, than UBI, um, because I think in America it wouldn't necessarily lead to significant inflation because you're talking about a, a 
relatively small minority of the population that is being um, affected. So you can't you can't raise all of uh, prices. Yeah, yeah, no, say ten percent of yeah, the population. I, but I completely agree. That, I can, my, I my, completely my agree with that you. Would be more job displacement where right. companies can't afford to hire more people because again, fifteen dollars an hour is the big kind of sticking point. Well, eight dollars an hour may not be great, but it's better than zero. And if you're going to yeah. mandate fifteen, again, got it. Eight's not great, but the alternative for many people might be zero because, as you said earlier, like fast food jobs and some of these jobs that can be automated will be automated even quicker because it's, it's going to be in the company's best interest to do that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to get sidetracked on a different argument, but I completely agree that the the minimum wage argument, the UBR argument, isn't the same one. But I think that the price, the consumer price index, for lack of a better metric. all-encompassing metric of, of this, I don't think that's going to change. I think I think they both have similar effects on the consumer price index, in my opinion. Uh, I think that, again, we I'm, one, I'm worried about inflation, one, 100%, but I'm worried about inflation now with this infinite printing of money. Uh, so that's that's oh, already sure, a concern. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not like again. I think that the the benefits of everybody having three to six hundred dollars extra a month to survive with, to use to to boost the economy, to pay their bills, pay their debt, uh, whatever. All those benefits are way way not separate from we need to be preparing for the future. I think every point I make tonight is, is the, the preparing for the future of joblessness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to beat that drum every single time, but like literally separate from that, like right now, I think that that is, and again, I'm not 1000% certain. And I would love to start, start at at a lower end of UBI, not a thousand a month or whatever. Uh, But I think that, and the, there's been small, I think Stockton, California, some other places have tried a UBI type thing on a local scale and they've had some success. I know it's not, you can't scale it uh, to the whole United States easily. Like you can't take their their results and, and apply it to the whole United States easily. But I think that it's it's definitely a starting point. Like you definitely start in these smaller like that's what the states were for, right? You're supposed to have these states test out these laws and then they become a federal thing. Like, I think we need to see more states start this out, start these programs out. Yeah, no, and, and I agree. I think, if, I mean, I, I think if, if a, uh, you know, if a local county or, you know, state want to do it, um, that's much better than the federal government trying to do it. Again, I still disagree with it because um, I don't know that it accomplishes anything it's supposed to, unless we're talking about drastic job displacement due to automation. Um, but I think also when you make comparisons like that, it's kind of, uh, you got to be careful with the comparisons you make. Because like, for instance, a lot of what like Senator Sanders um, would speak about when he was trying to campaign, he would talk about the Nordic countries. Well, there's pretty significant differences between the Nordic countries and the U.S. Um, sure. To include diversity. Like diversity is relevant here. And the Nordic countries are nearly as diverse as America. And, and I think diversity is great, but it means we're all making very different choices and choices have consequences, good and bad. Um, you know, like, I mean, one of the examples that, that, you know, I read with with regards to that would be like, um, you know, most people in Nordic countries, um, they're they're two parent, two household incomes. 
Whereas they've got more immigrants there that were one household incomes, then you have more takers from the system than, than givers to it. And that's where it starts to get in balance. And that's America just so diverse. Again, kind of going to your point, though, America is so diverse at a national level that, that that math is not going to work out effectively. It's less diverse at a local level in most cases. Um, so I think even if you started locally and it works, that doesn't necessarily mean it works at a state level, at a federal level. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would still have trouble there. I think some of the trouble, too, is, again, um, you know, it's, a, it's a, not a new argument by any stretch, but people make choices, some of them good, some of them bad. But if you start increasing taxes on others who didn't make those choices so that we can alleviate the effects of poor choices, I just don't think that's a, a, a just way of governing to say, you know, I mean, let, let's say I try to make a startup, but I don't do my homework and now I'm impoverished. And now I'm just kind of you know, licking my wounds for six months. So do you have to support me because I didn't do my homework? I didn't. I just had a bad idea, even if I did. Um, I mean, my opinion, my opinion on that is why not? We're the richest country in the world. You should you should you should have that that soft floor and let people take their shots. And I think I I'm. This is going to go uh, to more philosophical. I'm philosophical point of this. Uh, I think that a lot of mega rich, successful people, while obviously hard workers and had some sort of idea or whatever that got them there, a lot of it is due to luck. There's a lot of hardworking people. There's a lot of people with good ideas. Not all those good ideas make you a multimillionaire. A lot of Nikola Tesla one of the we owe, we know a lot i mean this is like a, a no, no. huge a you know a long time ago and i'm not trying to but nikola tesla we owe a lot of our current current living to nikola tesla the man died impoverished in his apartment in love with a pigeon or whatever uh <laughs> right like and, and and um why can't i think of his name uh guy, guy who light bulb guy uh why am I blanking on his name? This is really poor of me. <laughs> uh, um, um, his name is... I am too now that you mentioned it. <laughs> well, I'm going to Google it. Thomas Edison. Man, yeah, he's even got your name. Like, no, Good Lord. <laughs> Whereas Thomas Edison became uh, hugely rich. And, on, and what he did was he didn't even really quote unquote invent the light bulb he set up these incubators with other scientists and he like he owned he paid them a wage and owned whatever they made and they made a lot of inventions for him uh so he was more of a capitalist than tesla was no doubt but it's not just being smart having a good idea being a hard worker i think a lot of it is in my personal opinion you know timing luck i i understand luck is when preparation meets opportunity whatever like i agree with that but i also do think that there are people who were prepared who never got the opportunity and i don't think you punish those people just for that i think there's other i don't know if i fundamentally disagree with your outlook on the world of of everything coming down to choice i i i am more lean towards sam harris and free will is not a thing and it's a myth so i'm more inclined to give people the benefit of the doubt and if you're in a bad situation it isn't necessarily in, wasn't necessarily in your control uh, and therefore I'm more willing to 
to provide that safety net where I, I'm not saying I'm not trying to make commentary on the way you view the world or your, your, your read of the causes of poverty. Yeah. The way your the causes of poverty, the, you know, the causes of success of, of, of that. So I think because of my, I mean, I know because of my view of how I think the world works, I am much more willing to, tax the ultra rich to provide a baseline for the bottom regardless of choices. Because I think that I think that there's really, when we get down, when we get down to the nitty gritty, I really don't think there's, there's much choice going on. I think everything, all most actions are a consequence of something out of your control, whether it's right now or in the past. Uh, Like you're not, you're not fully, I don't want to say responsible, but you're not fully in control of the decisions you make. Whereas I think that you're more, you're more uh, black and white finite on that. Well, I think you're misjudging me a little bit and I'll get into that in a second, but, but, but kind of go back. You misjudge you a lot. That's, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> so kind of back your point on Tesla, you know, um, dying in poverty and love to a pigeon, uh, which I didn't know the love to a pigeon part, but my point, I guess my thing would be, um, while he didn't get to, to kind of hit it rich with his brilliance and his work ethic, he made choices because I'm guaranteeing he could have got a job somewhere and provided for himself and, and any you know loved ones he wanted to, to provide for. So in his sure, case, he, he, um, and he was almost those- certainly mental. He was almost certainly mentally ill, right? And I don't want to like make this a. I'm just. I think I'm just saying that today we owe a lot to Nikola Tesla. And he it had he would never got any credit in his time for doing what he did. Like what I mean, his choices of by being mentally ill led to his poverty and whatever. But like he invented a lot of great things and got zero money for them. So I don't necessarily think being successful is is the right uh, or is something that I think is necessarily a metric we should be using, right? Like, uh, like the fact that you became a multimillionaire doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It means you, it means you worked hard, but outside of that, there's a lot of hard workers who make below the poverty line. So to me, that's like, it's not, it's again, like, I think I, I, I'm, I'm painting a very broad brush with you, uh, like talking about your philosophy, but I just mean in general, like, I think my philosophy is that I'm, I, I don't, I think, it's not really determinism, I guess, but I think everybody's lot in life is basically already determined for the most part. And that there's not a whole lot you can do. If you get stuck with a bad parent, your odds of success are, are very, very, very low. So that's not necessarily your fault. So why should you be punished for it? Yeah. So, so yeah, hit on a number of things that are all like really good points, really good, really good topics of conversation. I guess I would kind of go back to Tesla. Um, and again, I think mentally ill is kind of the exception. Um, to, to the rule, but, but yeah, yeah. somebody like a Tesla, yeah, you may not get the lotto ticket, but you can definitely earn a good living. Um, and, and to me that, 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 like, for instance, like, you know, my wife and I talked about, Oh, we could start our own business and do these things. And it's, to, to me, it's just like, I'm okay not doing that because I'm, I'm okay going steady um, as opposed right. to risking what I would need to risk to get the reward. Right. Right. Um, right. Right. But my, my that's be like, if, Again, I don't know a lot about Tesla as far as his his uh, <laughs> health, but right. If you have a if you have a, a if you're brilliant, have a great idea, it gets stolen, and then you choose to 
to, to not follow that up with, well, I've got to get a job still because I've got to live. That's not a choice I should have to bear responsibility for. Um, right, and I right. think it's a bad form of government. And I think it's, I think it's unjust at the end of the day. So that would be kind of my, 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 my and again, I know that's anecdotal and, and you know, not trying to, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, not, not no, trying no, no, to no. with that, but just, just, it's just, yeah, it's, it's philosophy. Right. And we're, yeah. I think we've, I think we had a really good conversation about UBI in general, and I'm glad, I think our first episode, we kind of went to the nitty gritty way more and I, this was more free form and I kind of like how it went. Um, but at the end on the philosophical side of things, like I definitely think it's a much deeper conversation. I really enjoy the free will conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I think that really shapes how I view humanity in general. And I'm, I'm much more lenient. Uh, well, and that's kind of my thing because I could one, I completely, like, yes, man, the environment you grow up in, the parents you have matters drastically. Like, like my wife and I are oldest three, um, you know, we, we fostered and adopted them out of the foster care system and no doubt the choices they make now and the way they understand education now and hard work now is just drastically different um, among other things because of the environment they're in. And there's only so much you can do there, but that to me is where better than UBI, at least in, in a modern state, would be um, putting local uh, industry into the school system, having that be an option. Because if if you have people from your community who have been successful, come from the same kind of environment you come from um, and can get into the school system and even have internships born out of that, and you have a government that's, that's making that feasible and, and helping, um, assist in that that direction. I think you could do that. That's a better way to try to reach the child who might be suffering from the sins of the father, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I I, ne I don't necessarily disagree, but I also think that they have to, quote unquote, want to take that opportunity, want to open that door, and want to pursue that, right? And a lot of kids from broken homes don't. They're like like at a young age, they basically give up on the world, right? Like they don't see the world as a fair and just and good place. They, they see a broken home. They see, you know, living in the ghetto, living in, the, living in the hood, living right. Right. So I, I think there's definitely much deeper issues and I don't necessarily think it's fair to put that on UBI as a, it needs to cure those illnesses and not saying you are, I'm just saying that like, I, I don't think you can lay that at the, the feet of UBI and be like, look, you gave them $600 a month, but these kids are still failing out of school. Like, I think there's, there's deeper issues there, but at the end of the day, I think that $600 creates a, can create a more stable home environment, uh, just based on having the right nutrition, having, or having better nutrition, having a, a roof over your head, not living out of a car, not living in homeless shelters, uh, that sort of thing. I think that I think UBI can definitely at least help with that. Not saying other ways can't or aren't better, but I think UBI is more flexible in that you're giving them the money to to do all kinds of things. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, and it kind of goes back to what I said. Like I think you know, since since you know the number of single parent homes has tripled since the war on poverty, I would just have concerns that UBI would again kind of further exacerbate the choices that a, a parent makes that leads them into poverty and is more likely to have generational poverty just continue. Because to me, again, I, I think that the, the number of, of again, it's a broader topic, especially when you get into prison, but 
those three things that lead ultimately to poverty and almost always are correlated to poverty were significantly less when the government wasn't as involved. Um, what, to- what about the, what about this random idea I just thought of and haven't thought through whatsoever? So please feel free to poop on it. <laughs> what if you tied those monthly payments? So like when I got out of the military, I moved back to Florida and I was waiting on that job in Georgia. I was on unemployment and every week I had to go to the unemployment website and fill out a form and put in the, like I'd, I had to apply to jobs and they had to like put in who I applied to and whatever every week. Like five, I'd apply to five jobs a week uh, and like list like the status. Like, did you get a call back? Did you get an interview? Whatever. What if for UBI you had to like go in and like do some sort of web-based training of money management of, uh, how to start a business, whatever, like these small modules about how to improve life on a smaller scale like that before you got your UBI check every month. Yeah. So, so it's interesting you bring that up because, because as I've thought through like welfare reform, I've I thought along similar lines, but also including like a job, tra- you know, job training in that and then having a gradual reduction of welfare so that you always feel the way to your success. Because I don't think it's fair to say you've got a job of $9 an hour and welfare is paying you, um, let's just say, I'm making these up, right? But let's say welfare is giving you the equivalent of 10 bucks an hour all in. Um, and now you got a job of 9 bucks an hour, so we're taking away your welfare. I mean, that's kind of the argument what happened with COVID relief, right? Like you can't yeah. take away people's incentive to work with government assistance. So I think it would make, to some degree, more sense to say, even if we take just our, our current welfare system or replace it with elements of, of like a UBI structure, that but again, it's not UBI if you're, you're I mean, if you're, you're taking it away at some point, like universal basically yeah. you know, it says everybody. Yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. But, but if uh, you looked at a welfare system like that and said, hey, we want to prep you for interviews, we want to you know help you get job training um, or help you find a job. And then we want to gradually reduce your always from the way to success. I think that's an interesting idea. And I think that would ultimately reduce the amount of money that the government is spending on um, poverty relief and assistance. But I mean, I think ultimately it's, it's going to have to come back pretty hard to education reform, um, which would be probably a topic for a different day. But yeah, you know, well, let's increase education. I'm going to end it with this question to you. Do you think there's a way to do UBI? in the United States in this modern day that that could work? Or do you just think it's a complete, like it, it, it's doomed for failure no matter what, however we implement it? I, I mean, again, I think if you're trying to alleviate poverty with that, um, then it's not going to achieve its desired goal. Um, not with, with UBI alone. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean like in a good way. I mean, like you would have to imp- implement cost controls across almost all industries to increase the purchasing power parity. And I think that's a more destructive form of government. Um, you know, we may disagree on that, but, but I think I think socialism is a more destructive form of economics than true free market capitalism would be. So I, I just don't think it increases PPP enough. For, I mean, I don't think it increases PPP at all when you have a universal basic income. But well, when the robots take over, we'll all get it. So, yeah, I, was, I mean, I was going to say, well, I failed until the robots come. So, <laughs> <laughs> I failed to convince you. Uh, yeah, man, that was a fun conversation. And again, I think the more free form was uh, cool. I think we went in a bunch of different directions, and we probably didn't hit every point that we needed to. But I think it was a more interesting conversation than being, uh, you know, point by point by the book.
Yeah, yeah, I think I think it flowed a lot better than like a like our first. Not that our first one was bad. I haven't listened off that and heard it, but I, I think it went bad. I just think this one was much more conversational and on my end, I was more relaxed. That's probably yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine, it, and it's uh, it'll get better the more we do. We just gotta hit them every week, right? Yeah. Hold on, I'm gonna. Do you have any ideas what we'll talk about next week? Uh, uh, two weeks from now. Uh, I don't know. We, I mean, we hit a bunch of topics. We can talk about UFOs if you want, aliens. I think, I think both of our first two topics were more on the. I mean, the war in Afghanistan isn't necessarily political. I mean, it is, but it's not. And UBI is a little bit more political. Uh, if you want to do a just a ph- philosophical topic or aliens or like 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 aliens or free will or something, I'm fine with that. Uh, or we can, you know, I kind of want to do one or two more singular episodes, self-contained episodes before we do like a series on whatever of, of two or three in a row. Um, but yeah, I'm whatever you want to do, man. Uh, let's think about it. The free will uh, one doesn't interest me much, but only in part because like, I don't, I don't always, I'm not always able to follow Harris's reasoning, um, especially from like an atheistic worldview. Like it would make more sense if you believe in some sort of deity or deities um, that control. But well, that's why that, I find his arguments real interesting, right? Is because he doesn't have that higher power. He's the uh, first person I've ever you know. heard reference the lack of free will that was also an atheist. Right, right, right. Like it's real interesting, but I, I really, I really do enjoy that that line of thinking of his. Um, and I, I think his AI takes are are interesting, but I don't necessarily agree with them. <coughs> um, but yeah, well, oh, yeah let's, I'm uh, Team Harris when it comes to AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they have like well before COVID, they were having like conferences about it, like. What do we mm-hmm. do to stop AI? Uh, and yeah, I remember listening to one of Harris's podcasts and him like it was it, he he scared me. But like the more I thought about it, I'm like, eh. I I think my issue with their takes is I think they think well they I they definitely think that it's it's inevitable that it's going to end bad, and I don't necessarily think that. I, I think so. what you I think the only way it doesn't is if you carefully and and strongly regulate the extent to which would you allow it to be capable but it's almost like the, the you know yeah. the whole climate change global warming stuff it has to be all nations doing it and us trusting that all nations yes. are doing it and us yes. that when we go to war all nations are going to keep doing it so right um, so i don't know how much just, you, i don't know how much you, i don't know how much you know about crispr technology do you know what crispr is i do not Okay, so it's gene editing. CRISPR stands for something, but it's it's basically gene editing. You can you, they use this CRISPR technique to cut out a piece of DNA and insert it into another piece of DNA uh, fairly easily, right? And it's really there's this was like five years ago. I heard about this emerging technology, and the the debate at the time was like, well, if you if you we can't use this technology on humans because as soon as you do it to a human that propagates down the line forever. And we don't, we can't see forever. We don't know what will happen. Right. So like the understanding was like, okay, don't use this CRISPR technology on humans. We can use it for other things. Hmm. 
well, this whole debate about whether the COVID was a lab created thing or not, that was 1000% made with CRISPR. If it was lab created, like you can't regulate, Mm -hmm. you can't regulate China. You can't regulate these places that are going to do it. You know, cloning was a big one. You can't, you weren't, we weren't supposed to be doing cloning on humans and China was definitely cloning embryos and stuff. So again, with the AI thing, like you can't, you're not going to be able to regulate it on a world scale. I completely agree with you. And, well, and I think, I mean, the, gosh, the, the best chance we have is for us to treat it like nuclear technology and realize, listen, we're all sunk if, if we let this yeah. run its natural course or if we consider this as a viable option. So let's, let's all kind of regulate it well, sort of that and just realize that, that, you know, it's, you know, mutually assured destruction if you don't. But Well, that about covers it. I hope everybody enjoyed our takes on universal basic income and AI and every other tangent we went on. Uh, Once again, I'm at the rake, but the A is a four on Twitter. My co-host is at Thomas Black underscore 86. Please join our discord. The link is in the episode description. Follow us on Twitter. Let's have some more discussions and we would love to have some suggestions for future episodes. Uh, We will catch you guys again in two weeks. Later. Later.